Welcome everyone back to Chew On It. This is episode six where we're going to talk about intermittent fasting. We're so excited to be here, guys. Um, yeah, let's let's dive into it. This is definitely a a topic that's been around for a while now. I feel like it started back in 2012. Like there were some books that came out and things like that. Um, but it's kind of become a fad diet now, or at least it's questions that I know Anifer and myself get a lot of, um, Hey, should we do this? What are your thoughts? So we wanted to come on here and give you guys our take, um, and what the research says and the science says and how you can maybe apply it to your life if you feel that it's a fit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> where do we even I know, where, where start? Do we start? So let, okay. You know what? Let's give everyone an idea of like what intermittent fasting is. People hear this, they think, oh, I don't eat for a certain period of time. There are different types of intermittent fasting. Um, there isn't a lot of research that I've read that that says what happens like in different windows of time. Um, but some research does say that certain periods of time work better than others, depending mm-hmm. on the study. Um, but so commonly studied types of intermittent fasting, the alternate day fasting. So like it's called the five, two method. So you fast for two days and then you eat the other five days of the week. Um, and then there's daily time restricted feeding or fasting, right? So maybe you only eat in a six hour window and that's where you might've heard, oh, okay, you, um, don't eat for 12 hours and then you eat for the remaining hours in the day. So those are the two different types. Um, so more, I think the more popular ones are where you fast, like on the time restriction. So it's like 12 hours of fasting versus, or 14 hours of fasting or 16 hours of fasting. I think those yep. are the ones that people are hearing about and trying out um, for themselves. And I don't, I wouldn't say I'm on board, but let's, um, you know, let's pick out the nuance and yep. let's have this full-blown discussion between Rachel and I. And at the end, hopefully y'all can walk away with your own opinions a little bit more educated through our little banter about intermittent fasting. Yes. Um, so uh, let's talk about where it, where it kind of comes forth in the research, right? So like, what have we read? What have we looked at? Um, what really happens in the body when you fast? And we have knowledge of it, but still the metabolism is extremely complex. Um, so it's still something that needs to be vastly studied. I cannot stress that enough. Um, more studies have been done on animals, specifically mice, than they have on humans. That's really important to realize because we are not mice. <laughs> we are different than mice, but we do have some similarities. However, there have been over the years, many studies done on humans and clinical trials, but they're not, I don't really think any of them are long-term because this is a recently, this is kind of a new thing in the past 10 or so years. Um, so the longevity of intermittent fasting, we aren't too sure of, but it has been shown to improve biomarkers of disease, reduce oxidative stress. Um, and in some studies even shown to like, um, preserve learning memory function. So there are benefits, but like Annifer said, I think we're both, we're kind of on board, but we're not really on board. I think it depends. So Annifer, any, um, input on the research portion or what you've read? Yeah. 
So logically, I think a lot of the argument that people use to kind of introduce intermittent fasting to a skeptic is back in the caveman days or the hunter-gatherer days, like your biology kind of developed to help you during times of fasting. So it kind of clouds our modern judgment to be like, oh, well, if this is how we were meant to be, meant to function through, you know, restriction and through fasting, then it must be the healthier alternative. So I think that kind of gets scientists and gets the common person like intrigued by like, okay, so there must be a biological benefit to fasting. Like Rachel was saying, another thing that I think is valid, but also adds a layer of complexity to intermittent fasting is that it does, you know, there, there are signs that it improves your certain inflammatory markers, improves your cholesterol, your blood sugar control, um, certain hormones. However, everything that I have read has shown that these markers are improved while you are doing the fast. I've never read or heard or seen something that proves that these markers improve after you try intermittent fasting. So Mm. that immediately, since I'm not someone who's going to promote something that's unsustainable, immediately I'm kind of turned off by this idea But just because it wouldn't be sustainable for me doesn't mean it wouldn't benefit other people. And it doesn't mean that we can't utilize the research to kind of propel nutrition research forward. Like, okay, what are we seeing in this that we can kind of tease out and use in a sustainable lifestyle? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great point that you bring up. And I think it's important to recognize that with any type of change you're wanting to make, there needs to be consistency and longevity. And by fasting for a week, right? Um, And sticking to your regimen and then, oh man, it didn't work, something happened. Um, It's important to make sure that the change that you're making, you know, you're going to be consistent with it. Um, And as you fast, what's been shown in the research, so everyone just kind of understands is, um, to my understanding, when we're not eating, Okay, our cells are kind of placed under a little bit of stress, right, during those fasting periods. And under that mild stress, um, it's thought that, or at least this is theorized in studies, and this is why we're studying it to figure out whether this is true or not, um, is that under that stress, they kind of adapt. So then it enhances their ability, hopefully, to cope with stress in the event of disease, right? So that is something that is potentially, it could be a thing. It's a theory, right? Um, And that's why it's important to recognize that we need consistency with a habit like this um, to really see its benefits long-term. Now there are the short-term things of fasting where, you know, insulin drops, right? That hormone that's secreted from our pancreas, it goes into cells to break down blood sugar. Well, when we're not eating, we don't have blood sugar, which means we don't have that need for insulin, right? Then after 12, 16 hours, our body goes into that state of ketosis. And um, that has been shown in studies to improve brain function and memory. And that's from the National Institute of Aging. So there's a lot of potential but do we know 100% that it's guaranteed or going to work for you? No, because there are a lot of other factors. Aging, well, what age you are, right? Genetics, um, your gender, what you eat in a day. 
And so that's why more studies are needed. But yeah, Annifer, I think what you brought up was really important to recognize that that's why we're teetering with the concept and the topic is, you know, it's, it's happening when you're fasting. Well, how long are you doing this for? And can you keep it up for however long? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of the, the research that I've read that supports intermittent fasting is also weight centric research, right? So the scientist comes into this study believing weight loss equals improved health. So with that underlying belief, you see intermittent fasting leads to weight loss. Therefore, I support this study. If you keep reading, of course, the research, a well-written study is always going to say this only, all this goes to show is that we need more research to defend this fact. It does not mean anything yet, but it's interesting, right? So a well-written study is going to show that there are a lot of limitations. However, the common person or the common journalist, you know, can publish this research or like kind of misinterpret the research as being like, okay, intermittent fasting is helpful because it will promote weight loss. But just like Rachel was saying, it only helps depending on how long you can keep it up. Jumping to the extremes is never going to be my approach. Um, like what, what kind of benefits can you take from intermittent fasting that can really benefit anyone? Well, I, I love that this doctor I was listening to, he said, I think the 12 hour fast will work for everyone. And I agree. Like, I think, you know, not to say like stop eating after 8 PM and like don't snack before breakfast. I'm not laying down any kind of hard rule, but I do think there's a very gentle, um, very, like it could be a very beneficial guideline to be like, okay, you know, have your dinner at a reasonable time, sleep well, and like naturally you're already doing a 12 hour fast. Yes. Yes. Thank, thank you for saying that because, and, and there is some research studying kind of what they call like that circadian rhythm fast, right? It kind of tacks onto your sleep because you naturally fast when you are asleep. And that's the first thing I bring up to clients that ask me about intermittent fasting. What's my opinion? Would it benefit them? I'm like, well, hey, let's look at the part of your day where you're already fasting. And, and Annever, I think that's a great point that you bring up of it's a very easy way to step into that and not restrict, right? Because if we, there, there's danger with intermittent fasting that I've seen with my clients and that I just, I caution people with is I don't want you to restrict. Well, okay. We won't, we won't put that. We'll, we'll say fast. Okay. For say, um, I don't know, 12 hours, 16 hours. And then you feel like in that period where you eat, you eat everything or you you're in that kind of survival mode of, Oh my gosh, I need to stuff my face. I can have all the burgers and fries and things like that. Um, and that's just not healthy, right? Like we don't want anyone to have that type of relationship with food. Um, and that's kind of relates to the, not the issue, but, um, the fact that a lot of studies are based off of weight loss. There is not, honestly, there's no research on 
is it safe for younger individuals? A lot of these studies are done on middle-aged individuals who are overweight or, or obese in those BMI categories. Um, and so it's very important to recognize that. Um, and also it hasn't been studied, it, it has not been studied for, is it safe for individuals not trying to lose weight, right? So those are things to think about. Yeah. And just like any weight loss effort that someone who is in a larger body is going to make, the minute you stop this new effort is the minute you may pay the consequences of taking that on, right? So maybe you start keto, maybe you start intermittent fasting because you hear about all these benefits and all the weight loss that you can achieve by doing these things. But the minute you stop them, um, you can actually face pretty significant consequences. And that's not just for larger people, but I do think that like it's targeted toward and prescribed to larger people. So they kind of face these repercussions more so than someone in a, in a thinner body. You know, I Um, want to shed my perspective on a couple of things that I found to be a red flag. So for example, I was looking into Dr. Fung's um, reasoning or rationale of intermittent fasting because I'm, I'm always like super curious. I'm like, what are the doctors saying of the science? So Dr. Fung is like, he, he kind of spearheads like intermittent fasting movement. He uses it on all of his patients. Um, so he has this really powerful, <laughs> presentation about how effective intermittent fasting is and how like certain he just uses very extreme language like death and disease and illness which is in a lot of nutrition research but of course it's going to promote like fear in people who aren't doing intermittent fasting and promote like this sense of like oh this can be my saving grace like this will be the magic bullet right that I can take so there's one number two is his main assistant in his practice is a female who tells her story on why she is pro intermittent fasting. And she said that she used to be really sick. She had like PCOS and she had all these problems with her health. Then she saw Dr. Fung as a patient. And she said that he put her on, I want to say intermittent fasting and maybe keto too, but definitely intermittent fasting. And what she said is like, all of her health issues went away. It was miraculous. Like it was amazing. And she was so excited to share this with everyone on this interview. Or I think it was like a, a, a speaking event, like a conference that they were speaking at. Um, and then she's got the vulnerability to say that she fell off track and that not only did all of her illnesses come back, but they came back stronger. Mm her health problems actually increased and worsened once she came off of the intermittent fasting and keto. Yeah. This is not like I had already, I already shy away from these kinds of unsustainable diets because of that. But having her being a promoter of intermittent fasting and also admitting that that happened to her made me kind of scratch my head. Like, how, how are you still going to promote this diet? But then she was like, 
well, that just went to show for me that like this stuff actually works. And now she devotes her entire life, her whole career to intermittent fasting and keto. And now she prescribes it to her patients. Wow. The problem is her patients are not devoting their entire life to sustaining this diet. Yep. Okay. Number one. Number two is she was vulnerable enough to explain how unhealthy her diet was before she ever saw Dr. Fung. So she was never introduced to nutrition education. She was never able to like kind of do gentle approaches to see the benefits of what just like healthy balanced meals with normal nutrition, like intervention would have done for her health. Instead, she admits I would only eat hot dogs and like Taco Bell and chips all day and soda. That was it. Like her diet was a very, very extreme on one end. And then she went to the other extreme and then she went back hardcore. She said she would, her relationship with food was awful. After she tried intermittent fasting, she was like, I was like fully indulging in like all the sweets, all the like chips, all of that. And then again, she saw the benefits of intermittent fasting and keto when she went back on So, like, please see how the pendulum is swinging and how, like, it can really skew how beneficial intermittent fasting seems when you have that to compare it to. Honestly, I want to clap for you right now. I know, Um, because I feel so strongly when I see things like this. it's, It's really important, though, because you saying all of that, And I don't know if our listeners also thought the same thing, but it's just as extreme as another diet. And, and I think, I I really think it's important that she shared all sides of her story because we need to hear that. Right. But something that maybe we also need to touch on is that there are aspects of intermittent fasting and keto that also link to a healthier lifestyle and, and healthier eating habits, right? So those are things that she was not doing before, right? Was she eating vegetables? Was she drinking water? Was she, you know, maybe not snacking late at night? Little changes. And that's where Annika's saying that gentle approach that we are more for. We're not saying intermittent fasting is wrong, but if we think, oh my gosh, this is the all knowing only thing for me, same with keto, same with paleo, same with any other diet, right? Um, that's where we risk. Oh man, what happens if we do fall off track? Because do you love cake? Do you love doing all those fun things with friends and family, right? Going out to drink, whatever it may be. Well, you don't want to miss out on those things. And then, you know, potentially, I don't know, damage mental health, just things like that. And so I think, Annifer, you really, I think you gave a very, very good synopsis of the benefits, but also the dangers if we go to an extreme and we make it the only thing that works for us. That's not true. There are aspects. And I think that's, I'm happy that we're still doing research because I think there are positives. And it's important that providers do not write it off entirely because it could benefit your client, right? If you're a provider listening to this, please hear me out here because there are some things that has been shown to improve, right? But you don't want to tell a diabetic who's on an entire very large medication regimen, poorly controlled blood sugars to go and fast. That's dangerous. Mm -hmm. But is it someone that's maybe struggling a little bit with insulin resistance? All right, let's, maybe we can incorporate this in. But honestly, I'm going to stop right there. But um, 
Yeah. That's, Along that's the lines of what you were saying with what can we learn from these diets, one thing I definitely learned from the research that supports keto is that unlike what we were taught in the 90s or in the 80s is that fat is not bad. Mm-hmm. However, what what the media has done and what the common person who's who's a fanatic of nutrition research can do is now all of a sudden fats are glorified as being really, really good and they should make up the majority of our diet. But yeah. neither are true. Neither are fats bad. Neither are they like, should they be like 80% of your diet, right? Unless you have like epilepsy and you're so desperate to find a cure and you're willing to do that the rest of your life. I, I think, sorry, I don't mean to interject, but like, I think what's really important is to recognize that a lot of these extremes are the zero to hundred percent mindset. Guys, you can be in the middle of that. You don't have to be doing nothing and then another day doing everything. Like, I just feel like we forget that. And that's where the gentle approach comes in. And, and granted, we're talking about, you know, intermittent fasting this episode. And I, I want to continue to dive into that. Um, and I think it could benefit some people, but can we do it in less of an extreme way that isn't exactly what the books say, right? There's a lot of books out there that say, hey, I'm th- I'm totally not even thinking of names right now. No, but it's this ratio and this is like what's really going to help. Or... But a lot of those, you know, I believe those authors have good intentions. I'm not trying to talk poorly about any authors that put information out there or tell their own story. But number one, it's most likely their own story. Number two, it could be based off of research, but it is at all the research that's going to help sell their book and prove their point. Like those are things just to be cautious of. I'm not saying you can't pick up all the books and read them. Please do that. Educate yourself. But think of how it's going to affect you at the end of the day, because there's no zero or a hundred percent. Like there's, you have to look for that middle ground that's going to work for you. Yeah. And I've definitely been that person who read all the books, you know, oh, just oh, same. mumbo jumbo. Of I've done keto. Annifer, I am so embarrassed to say that. <laughs> like I literally have done keto and I, and I claimed, I claimed that it was like to experiment for like my future nutrition education, but, but no, it, it, what now it is then that was a cover up for, I really want to try to lose weight quickly. That, that was, you know, early college, Rachel. Um, and I'm not ashamed to admit that because we all, we all have been at some insecure point in our lives. And I'm thankful I'm not there anymore, but like, man, I just want to kick myself for the books I bought. And now I, I use them as a tool because wow, that is useful information to make sure that we encourage people that fat is good for you, but it doesn't mean you have to do keto. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the doctor who was promoting intermittent fasting, he talks about how he's done keto and, um, he talks about how he's done every diet out there cleanses, like the green juice cleanse, like every diet out there. Okay. So it's, um, it's Dr. Mark Hyman. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, he's very popular in the nutrition world. Not very popular amongst dietitians, but, um, (laughs) I think that it, when I heard him say, I've done every diet out there, I'm like, yes, you can experiment for yourself. What is intermittent fasting like for me? The problem is our patients are not just driven by curiosity. They are driven by fear. 
They're driven by, I don't want to have diabetes. I am terrified of being fat. I don't want to be made fun of anymore, right? So they're driven by something much, they don't want to just trial and error all these diets out of curiosity of dieting, right? So there's more desperation and I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but yeah, like as a listener, like I don't see it as a problem to try intermittent fasting. And if you, if it doesn't work for you, that I would love for you to walk away from that being like, that was interesting instead of being like, oh, I can't stick to it. Oh, I'll get back on it after, you know, after New Year's or I'll get back on it after my birthday or anything like that. Like, do you see how those two mindsets, one can be like more gentle and the other one can be like a yo-yo dieting, like life's, like it's a vicious cycle. It's a disaster. It really is. And it, we, we need to be kinder to ourselves. And this goes back to things that we've addressed in other episodes as well. Um, but I think it's important that, you know, go with a gentle approach. And of course, listen, if you are someone that's really interested in trying this, um, I, I encourage you to talk to a dietitian about it because they can at least help you do it in a way that isn't going to be extreme. Because as we know from either personal experience or from this podcast, extremes do not get us anywhere. They're a short-term fix to a long-term problem. And it's not progressive, right? So, but overall though, I'm not writing off intermittent fasting at all, actually. Um, I have some clients that, that do it, but we don't call it that. We try to change the language around it because sometimes when we call it that, we feel like, oh my God, I'm intermittent fasting. We tell everyone at work and it's like, I can't mess this up, right? Um, but what I tend to encourage clients to do is ease into it. Um, if you're someone that's a late night snacker, okay, maybe we start there or maybe we make sure we have breakfast early in the morning. Um, I have some clients that don't like breakfast. And I think I grew up with breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It's an obligation. You have to do it. And that's influenced my eating habits. But if it hasn't influenced yours, you don't have to have breakfast, But when you start to get hungry, please eat, right? It's okay to break that eating window. Um, There's no, that's where we're at 50% or 70% on that zero to 100% scale is listening to yourself and not saying, oh man, I can't eat till 12 noon, but I'm so starving right now. I can't focus. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. That goes back to honoring your hunger cues. I know Um, I'm kind of all over the place right now. No, no, it's true. Hopefully it's making sense. Without I feel like being, it is. No, without being in the extremes of like, you must eat breakfast every morning, like militant style, like first thing within the first hour, which is also what I do because I get that hungry probably. Me I'm too. Hungry. I've trained yep. my body to like expect food that early. Yep. In the morning. However, if you don't naturally do that, if you've got a very demanding job that doesn't allow, like it you don't even think about food and your appetite doesn't kick up until a couple hours into the day. It maybe it's not the best for your health. Like there's a bunch of research that shows it's not the best for your health to wait, to wait that long to eat. Yes. However, mm-hmm. there's also research that shows that it is good for your health to have that longer window without eating. So screw that say, okay, There could be pros and cons for me to wait this long without eating. Does it help me focus at work better to wait? Does it help me 
just to have the peace of mind that I can drop my kids off at school, that I can like tend to other things that matter in addition to eating. And then I can get to the eating later. Yeah. Right. So a dietitian can really help you like step back and be like, okay, we care about your health, your life at the end of the day. Like, let's see what that looks like for you. For sure. Um, You know, I I think for so long in my practice, I've always been like, no, don't skip meals. Um, But now I'm extremely flexible with it. And I think it's important um, to think about what are you eating, right? And that that's where other factors come into play. Um, maybe you don't like breakfast in the morning, but is your first meal of the day? I don't want to demonize any foods here, but let's say um, pork roll, egg, and cheese on a bagel, right? And I bring that out because it just is very high in cholesterol and saturated fat. Not that good for our heart, right? And that bagel isn't most likely not a whole grain, so maybe it doesn't sustain energy as long. Um, Is our first breakfast a Pop-Tart? There's not a lot of fiber in there or protein. We're probably going to be hungry 30 minutes later, right? So what are you eating as well? Like, yeah, we can intermittent fast, but in our eating window, are we just kind of eating all of those foods that maybe aren't as nutrient dense? Um, that can also be problematic as well because you might not be satiated. You might still have difficulty concentrating. Um, so as much as fasting can benefit our cells and you know reduce oxidative stress in the long term, it's important to think about what you're eating as well. And then I wonder if you could in- incorporate those high nutrient dense foods, high fiber foods, like high quality fats, if you can incorporate those foods without the rules of having a window of when you can and cannot eat, you know, and how far would that take your health? Yes. And how much more sustainable would that be besides doing that in addition to I'm only allowed to eat during these hours, right? So again, pick and choose what helps you, what feels like this works best for my lifestyle um, before going all in. Yeah. I think another thing that could be helpful is um, to people who tend to eat the most in the evening or get those like munchies or cravings in the evening. One thing that's really helped my clients and myself is having faith in your body that it can handle very satisfying food because when we're in this realm of like I want to be healthy I want to be fit we tend to think that like satisfying food is bad or like it it is like going to make us fat or whatever and it requires very little willpower so like it's just not good for us but that's not always the most helpful thing so having this mindset of I can eat things that satisfy me. I can eat delicious and hearty breakfasts and lunches and snacks. Changing, like trusting that and and practicing that in the mornings and, and during midday has really helped my clients address like their late night munchies, their binges. They're like feeling like they lose control at the end of the day. Yes. So being aware of like, how does feeling restricted in the morning affect you later in the day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a really good point to bring up. 
Um, are you not only eating enough, but are you eating foods that satisfy you? Because those two factors alone can really influence that late night snacking um, or that post-work stress snacking. We seek comfort. We want food. There's no shame in getting comfort from food. Food's amazing. But if you want to stimulate a change in your life, you're going to need to make some adjustments, right? Um, so, and when Anifer says like that comforting food, it could be, could be, you know, anything that you really enjoy. Maybe you are a Pop-Tart person, okay? But, you know, work with a dietitian or talk to an individual who can help you realize, okay, maybe having some protein with that Pop-Tart might leave you a little more satiated, but you're still enjoying the Pop-Tart, right? There's nothing wrong with that. You can like what you like, but how can you optimize that meal? Sometimes it might mean eating a little bit more. Um, yes. And you know, what Rachel's talking about here is exactly what I was saying with like, this is the gentle nutrition that people do not hear in their times of need and their times of need to make a change. They go on Google and they hear the extremes, but they could have improved their blood sugar control and their insulin resistance by having eggs and a pop tart. You know what I mean? Like they that step and that's way more sustainable. So they get that added benefit of the sustainability. Yes. Yep. Um, that's what we want you guys to think about when you consider something like intermittent fasting. Is this sustainable for me? Some people I have seen, I have worked with, I have supported. It is. They love it. It's changed their life. Right. Some people, it's it's just not feasible. Do you work a very demanding job? I don't know. Maybe you're a site manager for construction and you're out in the heat in Texas where I am right now. Um, you're going to need fuel throughout the day. You, you just will, right? Um, do you work maybe a more sedentary job and whatever it may be? So you have to think about yourself and there are opportunities other than those extremes to make change and to feel good about yourself and change your health. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Like there are definitely people who love it, who their spouse is on board as well. It just feels natural. They're like, they are like magnetically drawn to that lifestyle. So heck yes, it works well for them. Yeah. And I I also want you guys to realize like, if you feel like, because we've talked about some positives too. Um, in this podcast today, you're not missing out. When you go to bed at night, you are fasting, my friends. Um, and and maybe you are, right? Some of us are late night eaters. And that's something that I encourage you to talk to a dietitian about. And maybe we can discuss in a future episode. Um, but you naturally fast when you sleep. So please do not feel like you're missing out in any way to the benefits. Um, it's okay to not be doing what maybe other people are doing. You gotta mm-hmm. do it. It's it's okay to not do the fads. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think my takeaway along, like to piggyback off of Rachel's comment is I do think everyone could benefit from having that long window around bedtime of not eating. That is the last thing that a binge eater needs to hear because a binge eater already has a bunch of shame around pigging out at night, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or at least that's how they see themselves, right? So if you can work with someone to help you mitigate that and regulate your eating habits and that like drive to eat like incessantly, mm-hmm. that would be the best. That's where you start, right? Yep. Yep. 
Yep. I agree. But yeah, I do. I do think kind of like a soft 12 hours and by soft, I mean like it could be 10 hours. It could be 11 hours. It could be 13 hours, but like around that of not eating every night would be helpful. Yeah, I agree because you know, um, and, and I've heard different things, but from my personal experience, if I eat too close to when I go to sleep, I just don't feel good. Um, those that suffer from like uh, reflux, right? That can definitely be a recipe for disaster. But on the other end, I do have clients that need to have something in their stomach before bed because mm-hmm. they're really not able to get a lot of fuel throughout the day and they feel really uncomfortable and they wake up hungry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, which one applies to you? Um And can you apply any of these things to maybe help with any binge eating? Or maybe you are binging because you're fasting. Okay, well, let's think about this, right? There are opportunities to change that. And you're not alone in that. We've all been there where we're like, wow, I can't stop eating, right? So I I think it's important to think like, well, okay, let me change what I was going to say. I think that's a great place to start is that evening time if you're considering something like intermittent fasting because you're already fasting naturally when you go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're someone that struggles from insomnia, we we, got to talk about that, right? That's more intricate, but is it still possible to work with that? Absolutely. Um, But what's important to remember is food is fuel, okay? And we don't want to we don't want to be malnourished, right? There's a way to reduce calories and still be nourished well if that's something that you want to do. Um, but if you're someone who is happy with your body, but maybe you're just not feeling right, intermittent fasting could be for you as well. But let's consider all of the factors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was one quote that I want to read out from the research that I was reviewing for intermittent fasting because it's also about calorie restriction. And it says... Metabolic adaptations to preserve energy and promote appetite are known to occur in response to calorie restriction. So when calorie restriction is prescribed to people who already struggle with their relationship with food, your metabolism is going to adapt to that restriction and it's now going to preserve energy and promote appetite. So just be careful when you're restricting calories, really work with a dietitian to help mitigate that because I, yeah, I I just think there's so much information out there about restriction and weight loss and not enough to kind of help people who struggle with the natural biological consequences of doing that. Yes. Um, And then another thing is, yeah, like take care of you. Just like Rachel said, like what, what works best for you? Definitely don't do it if you're pregnant. Don't do it if you're young. Like, don't yes. have your kids do it. Nope, 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 nope. Um, don't do any of those. Do it if you're curious and preferably if you're healthy. Um, typically, it's more desperate people who are trying these fad diets, not so much, you know, someone who doesn't have like type 2 diabetes or cardiovascular disease. So be, just be cautious when you approach these extreme diets. Yeah. And when in doubt, please seek out like a medical professional, Um, whether it's a physician, whether it's a dietitian, um, if it's a physician and a dietitian team, even better. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But we are like the nutrition experts. We are still learning. okay? but I'm confident enough to say that that like people like us, dietitians can certainly help you with these things. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but yes, please don't do it if you're pregnant. Don't and all the things Anna said, like that's not appropriate for you, right? Um, but yeah, I hope you guys took some stuff away from this episode. It's definitely one of the more specific fad diet, scientific oriented episodes that we've had, but we're, we're planning on doing some more of those after throwing a lot of intuitive, emotional conversations at y'all. Um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in today. And I hope this gave you something to chew on. Yeah. Thanks guys. Take care. Bye.